Welcome to a talk from St Saviour's Sunbury. We hope you are really blessed by hearing it. I'm Rowena, for those of you that don't know me, and I work here looking after evangelism, mission and discipleship. And so today we're going to be talking about church as servant. And like when I actually wrote this, I was like, what does that mean? I haven't got three weeks to talk about that because it could take forever. And even this morning, my reading gave a completely different answer. I was like, what? That means I've got it wrong. But no, church as servant is a big thing. So we're going to focus on this passage this morning. And I think this talk by Jesus is all about being sent to serve and not to be served. Because they, like us, forgot that. So in this passage, he's reminding them, and indeed us, right now. A modern example of this would be young politicians. They get voted in by the general public, and then they forget they're there to, be, to serve and not be served, don't they? And instead, they spend their whole time trying to guess who's going to be powerful next and just attach themselves to that person. And then they quickly jump ship when that person does something that makes everyone go, ooh, it's a bit awkward. That's cheap loyalty and a kind of blows with the wind friendship, isn't it? And they don't go deeper than an outward smile. That's not service. And that's the level that James and John were working at in this passage, just in that moment when they asked if they could sit in places of honour in God's kingdom. Well, actually, they got their mum to ask. I know. Is there anybody else who finds that hilarious? That's really embarrassing. Can you imagine the conversation that went before the ask? The ultimate pushy mum. I imagine it went something like this. Oh, well, you're never going to get anywhere, boys, if you don't push yourself forward. No? Just me. Okay. I felt there was a bit of a Peggy Mitchell about her. Or maybe the mum of the craze. Do you remember it when she goes, my boys, my beautiful boys? You're going, really, really not, love. So she's like, fine, boys. I'll do it for you. I've written down, get out of my pub. Nobody knows who Peggy Mitchell is. You've no idea why I just said that. It doesn't say that in the Bible, just so you know. But it's up there with your mum coming into your workplace, isn't it? And asking your boss for a raise. Would you enjoy that? I wouldn't. Especially as my boss is Ron. (laughs) That'd be very weird. Actually, my mum would do that, probably. Um, We all hear this now, and we're thinking, well, I would never do that. Not the mum bit, but the disrespectful bit of going to the Son of God and asking him for a special place in his kingdom. But I was thinking about it and thinking... Is that really true? Can I really say that I wouldn't want to ask? I might not have asked that question directly, but do my thoughts and actions kind of suggest the same thing? I wonder if the disciples were just starting to enjoy the fame and power that went with being Jesus' disciple. Were they becoming a little bit arrogant like the rulers of the world? Because I guess we all get like that sometimes, don't we? I know I do. Had they forgotten the Sermon on the Mount? And I think personally it's kind of comforting to hear that the wonderful disciples who heard all the teaching from Jesus' own mouth still struggled with what amounts to ego. Does anyone else find that a little bit comforting? And I think this passage is partly about how power corrupts us. The Bible's littered with evidence of that being true. 
And that might be one of the reasons why God chooses the unlikely to do stuff. Those without power and without status to do magnificent things in his kingdom. People like us. So let's just quickly pop back to Daniel. So King Nebuchadnezzar lets all the power go to his head, doesn't he? Who's read it? Who knows? He even builds like a 90-foot statue of himself and forces people to worship it. What an utter. How weird is that? And like all of us, he learns the hard way why God made him king. And funnily enough, it wasn't to make him rich and famous and build a giant 90-foot statue to himself. And even when he was warned by Daniel what was going to happen to him, he still uttered these words. When I read these words, I kind of heard Brian blessed in my, in my head. I wish I could do an impression of him, but he's kind of puffed up and a bit like this, isn't he? And he said, I'm not going to do it because it will just ruin it. But he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I've built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. So if you imagine that in a blind, Brian Blessed puffed up kind of voice, he hadn't even finished speaking those words when he found out that was definitely not the truth. And I would encourage you all to go home and have a read of Daniel, because if you want to be inspired, he's pretty awesome. And then came old Belshazzar. Shazzar. Sounds like he's from Hayes, but he's not. Belshazzar, who followed old kings. The only people who know about Hayes think that's funny. That's where I was from, so that's why I'm saying it. Belshazzar followed old King Neb. Now, he used the holy cups to get hammered on wine. You can just imagine it at the big feast going, yes, bring out the cups. Bring them out. Now, he found out even the harder way when the writing appeared on the wall during this banquet, that was not the case. And he was dead the next day. Bit harsh, but fair, some might say. Jesus is the king of kings, and he came as a servant. He gave his life as a ransom for many, as it says in verse 28. A ransom at that time meant he gives freedom to a slave. So what are we slaves to? Do we even realize we've been set free? Jesus saw his approaching fate as payment that would set free those who were enslaved in sin and wickedness. Not least people who were in the grips of lust for power and position like Belshazzar and old King Neb. So who are our modern day Belshazzars? I can think of a few, can you? Michael Green, who's a bloke who wrote a whole book, which Ron kindly lent me when I was panicking about this. He wrote a whole book on Matthew's Gospel and he said, greatness is measured by service. Now, Jesus had already been talking with the disciples earlier in Matthew about how they needed to keep the commandments and serve. He also explained at that point that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get in heaven. I love that. Isn't that a wonderful visual? And it's proper challenging as well. To me, it is anyway. And our culture is a culture that worships money and power above all else. And it judges success based on how much money we have. Money equals success, right? Wrong. Not in the kingdom of God. Not in the kingdom of God. So I think in this passage, Jesus is tackling this hunger for power and position that lives in all of us. 
And he's trying to, to teach what true godly greatness is. And James and John, in that moment, are seeking the wrong kind of greatness. And the other disciples are cross. But not because they're more godly than them. They're just annoyed because those two asked first. And they hadn't done it. They're just like, oh, I should have got my mum to go and ask. She's way more scary than their mum. And as harsh as it sounds, I think we're all James and John sometimes. So in this passage, first Jesus deals with his own fate, then with James and John and the pagan worldly ideas of greatness. So the pagan worldly ideas of greatness, we're back in Babylon again and all those kings. And by the way, things haven't changed. Society still agrees with the pagan ideas of greatness. And we need to be really, really careful not to be corrupted by valuing the wrong things. Because it's a slippery slope we're on, actually, and it's getting more slippery and more slopey by the moment. When I think of it now, has anyone been watching the Olympics? I think of the luge. That is the slippery slope we're on. I mean, who invented that sport? As far as I can tell, you get on a tray and you slide at like 70 miles an hour, feet first, down a twisty, turny kind of thing that some, you know, dodgy person has gone, this'll be fun. And I look at them with their crash helmet on and think, why are you wearing that? You crash, your feet and all your body's gonna be destroyed way before your head. That, if you imagine that, next time you see it, that's the slippery slope we're on. In Isaiah 47, verse 8, it says, Listen to this, you pleasure-loving kingdom, living at ease and feeling secure. You say, I am the only one and there is no other. Wow, how is that not exactly like the culture we live in today? How have we moved on from there? I don't think we have very much, really. So we, as Christians, followers of Jesus, are actually called to look different. We're called to look different to that, to have different priorities. Otherwise, what's the point in us actually being a Christian if we don't look any different to anybody else and we don't behave differently? Beth Moore says, our present pursuit is us developing integrity in an enticing world. Us developing integrity in an enticing world. And the greatest line Jesus speaks, I think, in this Matthew passage is verse 26 to 28. Has anyone actually got a Bible in their hand or a phone with the thing on? Yay, well done, Charlie. It says, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. So Jesus, the Son of God, came to serve and not be served. And if anyone deserves to be served and treated like a king, it will be wonderful Jesus, right? So why on earth do we doubt that our, our calling is to serve? Is it because we think we're better than Jesus? Anyone think that? No, I didn't think so. I know that is not what we all think. I know. Knowing you all as I do now, I know I can say loudly that is not what you think. But I actually think it's the exact opposite reason. It's because we don't think we are great, that we don't serve him. I think that's the heart of the issue for most of us, that we don't think we're great. But Jesus is leading, he's leading by example. 
And bear in mind when he said these words, just remember when he said these words, it was right after he predicted his own death. So imagine how you would feel knowing your calling was to die horribly, to save all the future of mankind. And it seems a bit poignant in Lent for us to just sit in that, just for an awkward British minute. Let's just sit in that thought for a minute. Imagine our calling was to be laughed at, spat at, beaten and killed horribly to save the rest of mankind. A mankind that's focused on all the wrong things. And yet still, in that, in that moment, his focus was to lovingly teach both the disciples and us today to follow his example in real adversity, to keep going and fix our eyes in the right place. And I think it was so we wouldn't forget his sacrifice for us and actually do something to honor that. For even son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. But we do forget this, don't we? We forget it in the pursuit of happiness, whatever that is, and mortgage and comfort. We forget that God loves us so much that he sent his son to save us and serve us. Little old us. Old in my case, not necessarily in yours. He asks us to serve and he shows us how to do it. And I don't know about you, but I want to be the least. Does anyone else want to be the least? I want to be the least. But I'm not yet. I'm not. And Jesus points out the stark difference between greatness in the eyes of the world and greatness in the kingdom of God. And greatness in the world is determined by status, but in the kingdom, by function. Greatness in the world is shown by ruling, ruling over other people, but in the kingdom, by serving. Jesus came as a servant and turned the measurement of greatness upside down, flipped it on its head. So what does that look like to us? Do you leave at the end of an event or at church and assume that the cleaning up, the washing up, the putting the chairs away will be done by someone else? I sometimes do. I look at who's washing up, and there you will often find the least, the person doing the washing up, a servant heart. Do you shy away from a homeless person outside your office or the tube or that unusual person in your workplace or the community lunch? Why is that? Is it fear? It is for me. For me, it's fear. I get nervous sometimes talking to a certain type of person, and I have to check myself. So I go to this verse in Matthew. So if any of you have got your, your Bibles on your laps, look up Matthew 25, and it says in verse 5, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, 
I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. That really brings me back to where I'm supposed to be. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So if you're not doing anything for Lent yet, why not try the 40 Acts? 40 Acts has really helped me to learn how to do that. It teaches you over 40 days to look for opportunities to bless instead of our natural default, which is often to look for opportunities to criticize. It teaches you to look for opportunities to bless. And recently, I saw a man at the station who was clearly homeless. And I instantly felt fear. And I wasn't sure why I felt that fear when I saw that homeless man until I sat down to write this talk. And God gently reminded me. When I was around 15, I was groped by a drunk homeless guy on a packed tube carriage full of grown-ups. Grown-ups who suddenly became totally blind and they didn't help me. And I was embarrassed and frightened and a little bit ashamed because in that moment, I wasn't valuable enough to help. And I'm going to share something with you all now, which is really hard for me, as hard as that is. But I think it's the heart of the matter of what stops us becoming a full servant of Christ. And as I sat down to check this, this is what I felt God saying, do it, share it. So some of you will know and some of you won't, but God has been doing a lot of work in me recently, which is really painful. I'm being shaped and molded and having some pretty rough edges knocked off, my, knocked off me in pursuit of wisdom and obedience to him. I'm learning about a lot of prejudices I have, habits I have, and a whole lot of other really wonderful things. It's such a joy. I'm a person of passion, and I'm in a great hurry in life. I don't know whether it's the whole coma thing or finding Jesus later, but I have this burning desire in me to tell people about Jesus and raise up Christians to be the best light bearers they can be. It has taken until the last three weeks of my life to break off a crippling chain I've carried my whole life. And I'm going to share that chain with you in pursuit of becoming a whole life servant of his, in case it helps any of you to do the same. My whole life I have believed that when people get to know me, they will see that actually I'm really a horrible person and I'm also a bit stupid. The problem is that if that's your core belief about yourself, that if anyone criticizes you or hurts you, it cuts way deeper than it should have the power to do. And it also means you struggle with forgiveness. About three weeks ago, God broke that chain off me through this amazing Bible study I'm doing at the moment. And I now know that God looks at me and sees deep in my core a good person, a Christ-seeking person. And I still find that hard to say out loud because the British side of me is still going, oh, who do you think you are? And the other part of me is going, no, not anymore. But what God showed me is that actually it's my outer brand. I was in marketing. I couldn't think of a better word. It's my outer brand that needs work. 
which of course is true. Of course it is, all of our brands need work. But it's very different to the core of who you are needing work. And my core identity is now in him and not in what someone says about me or what I think about myself. So I can now start the work that needs doing on my brand, a brand that needs to be careful with my words so I don't hurt people in my burning rush to follow Jesus. He's teaching me to be careful and stop and say sorry when I accidentally hurt people, which is also really hard for me to do. So I stand before you now and I say sorry. I say sorry to you. If I've ever done that to you. Because for me to be a servant of him, I want to do it authentically. And I need to know all of this to be able to do that. And when I was on that train at 15 years old, I didn't know Jesus. But I do now. I do now. And being not worth saving and not valuable is not how he sees me. That is a lie. A lie I have been kept in to prevent me knowing him and serving him. And because of the truth of these verses, of learning to be the least, I forced myself to look into the eyes of that homeless man I saw a couple of weeks ago and smile at him through my fear because he is the least. And in that moment, I was ashamed to be the most. The most who was on the train because my car was broken. The most who almost didn't go to this prayer meeting because my car was broken and inconveniently I would have to take three trains and take about what felt like 300 hours to do what would have been a 10-minute journey in my car. Oh, boo-hoo, poor me. I am the most who has the liberty of praying out loud for two hours and be in the presence of God without being put in prison or killed. The most who could feel God going, seriously, love, you can only come and meet with me and get on your knees when it's easy. So I went on the 1,500 trains. And what happened? He showed up and he ministered to me. In a moment, we're going to go into a time of prayer and response. And I want you to be brave and bring your lie to the front and ask God to take it from you. What is your lie? What is your lie? What is the pain that's keeping you from being a true servant of Jesus Christ, our Savior? I want you to come and leave your chain here. And I still have a lot of work to do to become the least. I'm still trapped in the most mentality. Is that you too? If it is, be brave. If I can stand up here and try and speak when I can't speak because I'm trying not to cry, then you can come and ask for prayer. Let someone pray for you and let that process begin because serving is the greatest gift we've been given as it helps us to become the least and it reminds us why God has placed us here. It reminds us that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many and that includes us. No matter what you think of yourself, he means you. He means you and he means me. So what will you do with that freedom that you have been given? 
What will you do to become the least at work, the least at home, the least at school, the least at a coffee shop, at a supermarket here in church? But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. I strive to be a Daniel. Daniel loved God with his whole heart. He was courageous, countercultural, and faithful and honest and hardworking and courageous again. He and his three friends, they stood out in their day. They refused to worship the ridiculous statue and got thrown in the fire and put in a lion's den for it. And God showed up. When they stepped out, he showed up. Who would you like to be? How about just being yourself? Just as God created you, because that is what he created you to be. You, you. So as the band lead us in this next song, be brave and come and get prayer to help you be the you that God has created you to be. And he wants you to be. Come and choose to start living in the freedom of Christ. And then go and find every way you can to serve him with joy and thanks in your heart for the one he sent to save us because he loves us, all of us. Yes? For more information, please go to www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.